mid-20th century, the modern cruise control was invented. By the 1960s and early 70s, cruise control became a popular add-on to vehicles. Soon after that, a myth began circulating about a brand new RV owner and his faithful first trip with cruise control. According to the story, the new owner set out on his first trip and set the cruise control once he got on the highway. After setting the cruise control, he then confidently went to the back to make a sandwich. The story ends there because everyone could then imagine the outcome. The story is built around the buyer not understanding or not reading the owner's manual describing what cruise control actually was. Incomplete information or low information can cause a lot of pain. I am guilty of not reading all the directions for a new gadget, and sometimes I don't pay as close attention to destination instructions as I should. And then there are times when I simply receive bad information. When traveling, I depend upon my phone, but for years, I used a GPS. Once purchased, I never updated it, which meant that towards the end of my usage, I would on occasion find myself on a new road not recognized by the GPS, or being told to take an exit that no longer existed. Here's a problem that I faced. I discovered the fact that incomplete information can cause a lot of pain. We all share a belief that we can take care of ourselves, make the right decisions, and achieve our best life with the knowledge we already have in us. To encourage that mindset, we have Christian influencers and even television shows telling us to follow our heart and trust in our own wisdom when faced with major decisions. Many Christians thus view decision-making as an exercise in pooling their limited knowledge of God's Word with their own understanding of life. For many, their experience in life, their knowledge of God, and their understanding of the Bible is sufficient. It's important to remember that while the Bible is sufficient to answer every problem we will face in life, it's not automatic that we personally have sufficient knowledge of God's Word. We demonstrate this belief that we have sufficient knowledge every time we refuse to spend time in Bible study. The problem is that there are times when all of us would rather spend time doing anything but attending a Bible study or reading God's Word. We can make all the excuses we want. The fact remains that most of us do not know God's Word like we should. The reason for that shortage of understanding is not because God hasn't made it available. I think you know the real reason we sometimes lack understanding, and it rhymes with me and you. The Bible has made it clear how we are to live out our lives as followers of God. Listen to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. The knowledge of God, found in God's Word, is to replace our own understanding about life when making decisions. As a believer, you need to understand this important point in today's text. Walking by faith requires more than a casual knowledge of God. If you are to walk on the right path, make the correct turns, and reach the intended destination, then you will need the right directions. You need to know who God is and how He wants you to walk in obedience to Him. Today, 
we can learn a lesson from a grieving father about how important it is to know God and His will for our lives. Let's read and allow the Holy Spirit to teach us more about God today. Judges 11:29. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. Jephthah was an illegitimate son of a prostitute, a cast-off from his family, and a leader of a renegade band of lawless men. But God had plans to use him. Notice it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. We've already read how the Israelite leaders and the people had made Jephthah their leader. He was given the position of leader because they needed a commander to lead the army against the Ammonites. Jephthah was uniquely qualified for the position by his experience. Now, God provides Jephthah with his spirit. Jephthah requires nothing more to win the victory. But Jephthah wasn't sure about a few things. He wasn't sure the victory was going to be his. He needed assurance from God. He wanted to know that God would not abandon him. Remember, his family had. He needed to know that God would deliver the victory. Before Jephthah led his men into battle, we see that he is going to try to strike a bargain with God using a vow. Judges 11:30 and 31. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Evidently, deal-making, negotiating, and bargaining was a tool on Jephthah's tool belt. Earlier, he had attempted a diplomatic solution with the Ammonites. Only when the discussion fell did he pick up a sword. Now he is negotiating and bargaining with God. Jephthah wants to make a deal with God. And the deal is simple. If you give me the victory, then I'll offer the first living thing that walks out of my house as a burnt offering. Here's basically what he is saying to God. God, if you do your part, then I'll do mine. A lot was riding on Jephthah's victory. With a victory, the people of Israel would be released from oppression, and Jephthah would be established as the leader of his people. That was the deal he struck with the people in verses 9 and 10. In Judges 11, 9 and 10, we read, Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah wanted the victory, needed the victory. With the victory, he would be a national hero and their leader. What a way to show the family that had rejected him and refused to give him a part of his father's inheritance. Unfortunately, Jephthah's national acclaim, political power, and putting his family in their place would be bought with a price. Jephthah's victory would cost the life of the one who would walk out of his own house following the victory. What does God's word say about vows? A vow was a promise to God that an individual would publicly acknowledge God's answer to a need or request. Moses gave specific instructions for vows in Deuteronomy 23, 21-23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you. 
and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Thus we see that a vow was a voluntary act that God did not require. But once a vow was made, the person was committed to that vow. That's why vows were not to be taken lightly, but carefully and thoughtfully. The vow did not fit a biblical worldview. The vow did fit the worldview of those who worshipped the Canaanite gods, Molech and Chemosh. Jephthah has the spirit of the Lord, but is still making decisions as a pagan. What was wrong with Jephthah that he would make this type of vow? It wasn't that he didn't know God or have God in his life. Remember, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And it wasn't because he wasn't sincere. Jephthah's vow was the prayer of a sincere, zealous heart. Jephthah was totally sincere, but he was totally wrong. Those who follow God need more than a sincere faith. They need a sincere and understanding faith. Jephthah was wrong because he didn't really know God. He believed God had to be bargained with, possibly bribed. He thought that he could buy God's help with someone else's life. Rather than claim God's promises and resting in God's grace, he tried to negotiate for God's power. He thought God would savor the death of a person. Evidently, Jephthah thought that God was a sadistic God. But that understanding of God is contrary to what God's Word actually reveals. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, we read, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God's desire for Jeremiah, in fact, God's desire for all humans, is to be a blessing to them, to be a hope to them, to provide for them. Nothing about evil is involved. Why would he do this? I believe Jephthah thought that God needed encouragement to finish the job. Now, the Holy Spirit had already empowered him to raise an army, but he thought God might not finish what he started. Now, here's the bottom line. Jephthah didn't really know the character of God. His lack of understanding about God led him to create his own God. Jephthah was guilty of idolatry. Here's how idolatry often begins. It starts with saying, I like to think that God is, and then you fill in the blank. Then people go off describing their, quote, perfect God, a God that is made entirely in their own imagination. Please listen. It doesn't matter what you think God is. It matters who God declares himself to be in God's word. Because too few people really know God, Oftentimes, followers of God, and even those who do not believe in Him, will try to make a deal with God when times are tough or something is wanted. Some will say, if you can get me that job or that boy to marry, that child I want, then I will give you my life. Others might say, if you get me out of this mess I'm in, then I will give you my life. All of this is bargaining with God. Here's another one. If I attend church and teach the Bible study, then will you give me something I want? Or here's another one. If I fast and read my Bible, then you will give me what I need. Instead of trusting in the love, grace, provision, and character of God, people attempt to coerce God to act a certain way. 
instead of trusting in the real God, people create their own type of God. Now, let's pause here and acknowledge one thing. Some claim Jephthah never intended this to mean a human sacrifice. And from our vantage point, this makes good sense. How could anyone call for the death of another to make their own life better? That's simply not acceptable in our world today, right? Contrary to what many believe, many abortions are the result of inconvenience, or bad timing, or other responsibilities taking precedence over raising a child rather than health-related issues. About 5% of women who have experienced an abortion acknowledge that they were pressured by family and friends to have that abortion. Incomplete information can cause a lot of pain. Now back to Judges. First, we see that Jephthah said, I will offer it as a burnt offering. So why do we believe that Jephthah actually meant human sacrifice? First, Jephthah said, I will offer it as a burnt offering. Every time this description is used in the Old Testament, it refers to a blood sacrifice. Second reason, if Jephthah meant this to be an animal sacrifice, then when he said, whatever comes out of the doors of my house to greet me would be completely inappropriate. The usual animal sacrifice required the very best of animals, not simply one that wandered out the door. The types of animals normally used for sacrifice, lambs and bulls, were not normally found in the house. Animals would not be expected to come out of the house to celebrate a victory. If it is an offer to sacrifice an animal, then only an animal would be under the vow. Jephthah had the idea that the one to be sacrificed would be a human being. I believe he was hoping for a servant and not a family member. Why would he do this? Jephthah was a product of his culture. The culture around him was violent. He lived a violent life, and the reigning religions of the day supported human sacrifice to please the gods. He is like the believer today who professes to know God, yet allows the world to shape his or her thoughts, actions, and words. Today, we are more apt to have worldly attitudes towards sin because of how our culture views sin. Abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism, destruction of God's plan for marriage, sexual immorality are the biggies that make national news. But what about those sins that are rampant in our society but don't get the same amount of press? What about cheating on an exam, failing to honor parents? Fudging the numbers on sales sheets or time cards? What about false resumes or simply lying to others? What about stealing from your employer or robbing God of your tithe? What about hurting others through gossip? Listen to Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Jephthah could claim he was simply a product of his culture, but the one who follows God cannot use that excuse. If you follow God, then you can't blame the culture for your ignorance. God has given us His word on every subject in the Bible. Judges 11, 32 and 33. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Aror to the neighborhood of Mineth, twenty cities, and as far as Abel-Kerimin, with a great blow. 
So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. First thing we notice, the victory was the Lord's. The Bible says, And the Lord gave them into his hand. Victory in life comes from God. The second thing we note, the victory was complete and final. The Bible says the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. God completely satisfied their need. God always provides for his people. Third, the victory had no connection with Jephthah's vow. God's blessing was not a result of Jephthah's bargaining. God's blessing was the gift of God's grace. God was faithful. It's important for us to understand, faith is not how a believer persuades a reluctant God to give us what we want. Everything a believer does to manipulate God into blessing him puts the believer in control rather than God. This is a form of idolatry where the human is in control and God is simply a powerful servant. Instead of God being manipulated by Jephthah, God demonstrated his faithfulness by providing the victory for Jephthah and the army. God is sovereign and will not be manipulated by his creation. Now, after the victory, Jephthah returns home a celebrated hero. Judges 11:34. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. So who was the first to come out of the house? His daughter, his only child. She came out celebrating her father's victory, her people's rescue from oppression, and her daddy's return home. Her celebration was a culturally common response to news of a victory. But her celebration caused the opposite response from her daddy. Judges 11, 35. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. In shock and grief, he tore his clothes. That would be expected, knowing the foolish vow he had previously made. But also notice, he shouted, You have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. Did he really think it was her fault? Then he tells her her fate as a result of his vow. What is amazing in this passage is the daughter's response. Judges eleven thirty-six and 37. And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months, that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions." After hearing of the vow, she immediately submits to it. The vow had been made to God, and it was binding. Her only request was a two-month delay. She desired to spend the last two months of her life with her friends and to mourn the fact that she would be childless at death. The line of Jephthah would be ended. Judges eleven thirty-eight and 40. So he said, Go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father 
who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in the year. And so at the end of two months, they both kept their vows. A young woman's life was ended before she could be honored in a culture that celebrated motherhood. A horrific tragedy described in so few words. Now, once again, some claim that Jephthah didn't actually kill his daughter, but kept her a perpetual virgin in the service to the tabernacle. That would be a more pleasing ending, but that's not what the Bible said happened. Notice she asked for a two-month reprieve. That wouldn't be needed if the vow was for her continued chastity. A two-month reprieve only makes sense if she was to die. When the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, lest you find yourself believing nonsense. Both Jephthah and his daughter recognized that a vow before God was to be taken seriously no matter what the personal cost. His vow was a way of bargaining with God, but once made, there was no negotiation. Jephthah could not break his vow. If he broke his vow, his friends could not trust him. Breaking his vow before God would reflect on the character of God himself. Now, as a dad with a daughter... I have a hard time understanding how this dad could do this. He could have spared his daughter by breaking the vow and taking on the consequences himself. He could have given his life for his daughter, but he didn't. Now, Jephthah could have followed God's law in Leviticus 27, where it spells out how a person's life could be redeemed with a payment. He could have paid the ransom price, but he didn't. For generations to follow, the daughter of Jephthah was remembered by the young women of Israel. A Jewish theologian said this was done to warn people not to sacrifice your children on an altar. Jephthah, a man who experienced rejection, suffering, and violence in life, became filled with the Spirit in order to deliver his people from oppression. Struggling to understand God and his own relationship with God, Jephthah vowed to sacrifice someone from his own household if God granted him victory. The people celebrated Jephthah's victory, but Jephthah mourned his only child. I believe Jephthah learned a few lessons about God in that time. First, I believe he recognized that God's victory over the Ammonites was not because of his sacrifice. I believe that he learned something about making vows. I believe he made fewer vows in his future. I also pray that he learned about God's ability to bring comfort. Psalm 94, 18 through 19. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Who is better able to comfort a man who sacrificed his only child than the God who already planned to sacrifice His to provide mankind victory over sin. The Bible has wonderful news for those who have sinned and paid the price for sin. If the burden and the pain of past sinful decisions are crushing you, then listen to this verse, Ephesians 1, 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of of His grace. Jesus lived and died for our forgiveness. That is the truth that can bring hope and healing to a hurting heart burdened by the weight of sin. Now, 
What was the main point? Walking by faith requires more than a casual knowledge of God. As believers, we need to remember when God's Word is read, studied, meditated on, it's not simply so that we can know more facts, though facts about God are important and doctrine is important, but God's Word has been given to us so that we can be guided by God's Word as well. We are to be guided in the knowledge of God so that we can be confident of His character. Here's what the Bible says about itself, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And here's where we need to not only know about, but be transformed by God's Word. Romans 12.2 Do not be conformed in this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Making the good, acceptable, and perfect decisions in life requires knowing and understanding God and His Word. And as followers of Christ, we have help in understanding and applying God's Word. Just as God gave Jephthah the Spirit, we are also given the Holy Spirit at the moment of our salvation. Listen to John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. While the Spirit is available to provide guidance for us, it is also our responsibility to follow. Listen to Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit has been given to guide us in understanding God and His will for our lives. How does your understanding of who God is and His character impact your personal life? So how do you view God? Do you see God as Jephthah saw God? Is God stern, sadistic, and legalistic? Do you feel a need to bargain with God and earn His favor? Do you believe that God's presence in difficult times cannot be counted on? I hope you understand from the verses today, that is not the God of the Bible, and that is not to be your God. God doesn't need to change to be the God you really need Him to be. You need to discover the loving God that has revealed Himself in His Word and through His Son. Let me repeat, God doesn't need to change to be the God you really need Him to be. He already is the God you really need Him to be. It's you who needs to discover the loving God that has been revealed in God's Word through His Son. Here's another question. How do you approach God with your needs? Have you ever made a pledge to God but failed to honor that pledge? Was there ever a time in your life when you heard God's calling upon your life and you responded by dedicating your life to Him? You said, Yes, Lord Jesus, I want to do this. I want to do that for you. But did it end there? Here's another question. Have you been more affected by our culture than the Bible? You can clearly see the problem in Jephthah's life, but do you see the problem in your life? Does your schedule, daily priorities, spending, and even viewing preferences line up with God's will? Is your life different from the neighbor down the street who doesn't know the Lord as God? And a final question, have you placed more attention on today's, quote, Christian influencers than the Bible? 
Have you fallen for the recent self-help, self-centered, and self-focused movement promulgated by today's, quote, Christian influencers? Your pastor may not have the same social media following as some of today's Christian life experts, but he probably does what they have not done. What he brings to the pulpit is God's Word. The more you know God's Word, the better you will be able to filter out the humanistic trends engulfing American Christianity. The key to making the right decisions in life and reaching the right destination is knowing more about God through His Word. Are you an unbeliever right now? The Bible teaches us that we need to be forgiven of sin before we can reach the right destination. And that forgiveness is through Jesus Christ alone. If you would like more information about what it means to be a Christian, please contact me at discoverthebiblepodcast at gmail.com. And what if you are a believer? Here's a challenge for you as a believer. Take a step this week to understand God better through His Word. Spend more time in the study of God. Don't read simply a book about the Bible. And don't be content reading a devotional. Instead, spend more time in God's Word. Once again, here's a truth to take with us. Walking by faith requires more than a casual knowledge of God. Now imagine how wonderful a road trip can be when you know what lies ahead thanks to your map app on your phone. Now imagine the positive change in your heart, in your marriage, and in a family when you are making better decisions because you know more about the one who created you. Here's the truth straight from God's Word. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Thank you for listening to Discover the Bible with Dr. James Harms. It's a privilege to share the truth of God's Word with you. I hope you will provide a positive review of the podcast and consider sharing the podcast with a friend. And if you want to share with a stranger, that's good too. On Sunday mornings at Discover Bible Church, I provide an electronic document that contains the verses contained in the message, as well as the main point and challenge. If you would like to be placed on the email list to receive these weekly emails, then send an email request at Discover the Bible Podcast at gmail.com. The emails will also provide an opportunity to communicate with you about future episodes. If you would like to learn how you can become a follower of Christ, or would like to know more about being a Christian, or if you have questions or comments about the podcast, you can contact me through email at discoverthebiblepodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining me in a verse-by-verse discovery of truth found in God's Word.